Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ, owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel, offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You and I have the ability and the dignity and the right to make our own decisions and determine our own destiny. No fear. No political correctness. Exposing the tyranny of the minority. You're listening to Underground USA with your host, Frank Silvato. Thanks for tuning in once again to The Underground. Remember, you can read and hear all of our stuff at undergroundusa.com. I want to touch on the article that was in The Atlantic. And as an aside, um, a little history on The Atlantic. It was founded by Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry Wadsworth Longsfellow, Oliver Wendell Holmes, and Harriet Beecher Stowe, among others. They were the featured writers, so it does have a historic past. What's happened to it in recent times, um, well, I can't say they're not spinning in their graves. The recent article by Editor-in-Chief Jeffrey Goldberg says that President Trump has denigrated soldiers and, and soldiers that have been killed in action. Honestly, you have to suspend reality to believe this story at all. And there's, there's so much wrong with the setup for this story that uh, you really have to be intellectually challenged to believe the accusations in this and that they're not politically motivated. Anyone paying attention over the last three and a half years knows that Donald Trump is pro-military. It defies argument. He's probably the most pro-military president since George W. Bush and before that Ronald Reagan. He's infinitely more pro-military than Bill Clinton was. If you remember correctly, Hillary didn't want the Marines wearing uniforms outside the White House. She didn't want to see that military image around the White House. And the Obamas were the same way. So for a liberal-leaning publication like The Atlantic to be talking about a 
pro-military president not being pro-military or saying slanderous things against the military, again, it, it defies reality, especially coming off the Obamas and the Clintons. In question here is Goldberg's relationship with the publisher of The Atlantic, who happens to be a Biden mega-donor. Lorene Powell Jobs is the widow of Apple CEO Steve Jobs, who was no fan of the right. He was one of the Silicon Valley aficionados, the elite out there, and, and they had a globalist view of the world. They didn't, they didn't care for the national identity and sovereignty. He, just like Bill Gates, they want to believe in a world community where there are no borders, where there is no sovereignty, where all the world is controlled by a very small group of people, and the people who kind of meet at Davos once every year to decide what's going to happen with business around the world. We also have to look at the Atlantic's past history when when egregious speech has been advanced towards our military. When Hillary Clinton botched Benghazi, when she refused to send people in to help save our people over there, when she said, at this point, what does it matter? Did the Atlantic say anything about her being not pro-military? Did they say that she slandered the people who died over there? Did they say she didn't care? No, they didn't say anything because they are pro-left. When John Kerry, and this, this magazine's been around for a while, when John Kerry did his congressional testimony, about Vietnam, talking about Genghis Khan and cutting off ears and fingers and toes and the atrocities that the U.S. military was performing over there when he threw his medals back over the fence at the White House, showboating for the media during the anti-Vietnam War movement. Did they comment about that? This kid was connected to the Kennedys. Of course they didn't. So this is an opportunistic political hit piece brought forward by anonymous sources, and that's what they're saying. This is anonymous. We know who they are, but we can't tell you who they are. You always have to hold that suspect. If someone's not willing to go on the record, you know, that's like convicting someone of a crime, but saying we're not going to tell you who the people are that are testifying against you that said you did a crime. This is where the court of public opinion goes off the rails. We don't have to tell you who said it, but we're going to declare that it was said. And we're going to base our belief on that on an anonymous source. We're not going to tell you who, but we're basing it on this person's say-so. So you just have to believe me. Well, we don't believe the mainstream media. Close to 65% of the people, per a, a, a recent poll about media credibility, says that the media is full of fake news and they don't trust the mainstream media anymore. And this brings up something that bothered me when I listened to a clip of Goldberg on MSNBC, and I know it's MSNBC, but even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. He talks about moral ambiguity in journalism. Listen to this. It is a reasonable question to ask uh, why people who have had direct exposure to Donald Trump, who know what Donald Trump has said, who know what Donald Trump has done, uh, won't simply come out and, and say it. And uh, I, I share that view that it's not good enough. Um, but, you know, like other reporters, I'm always balancing out the, the moral ambiguities and complications of anonymous sourcing with a public's right to know. But, yeah, obviously it would be better if people would say, attach their names to what they know. Moral ambiguity. 
weighing the need to know versus the anonymous source. This goes back to the credibility of the anonymous source and trust. When the mainstream media could be trusted to report who, what, when, why, and where, an anonymous source may have flown. People were more likely to believe someone who was trusted back then. And trust is the major word here. People like Cronkite, Severide, you know. People trusted these people when they came on the news at night to give them the information because journalism was about who, what, when, why, and how. Today, the news media has been weaponized, politically weaponized, so I don't know why anybody should trust anybody on the news. A friend of mine who was going to the Columbia School of Journalism in New York had told me one time that the professors there are instructing them that it is proper to inject feelings, emotion, and opinion into news pieces because it makes it more relatable. Well, that moves it away from who, what, when, where, why, and how, just the facts, ma'am, and injects opinion into the news. And this is where we are today. We have opinionated news. And then when you triple the potency of that into social media, the lines are blurred between truth and fiction to the point nobody can understand it. When you have people who are abusing the anonymous source in order to politicize an issue or affect an election, that's exactly what happened with this Atlantic article. It was published to affect an election. It was published to affect a political candidate 60 days out from an election. When you have an abuse of power like that, this is what's moving us away from trusting the media. And it's evidence that we shouldn't trust the media. This is not journalism. This is activism. The New York Times is guilty of it. The Atlantic is guilty of it. CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC... To a large extent, Fox, they're all guilty of it. They've opinionated the news. Now, Fox will come out and say, our news people during the day are solid. Now, they may report the facts in the three-and-a-half-minute segment that was about the news of the matter, but they go into 45 to 50 minutes of opining because they have to bring on some expert to try to explain it to you. That's where the spin comes. That's where the departure from the truth and the facts comes. That's where the ideological bent comes in. We can't have anonymous sources when there is no trust in the media. Because in this day and age, when those storylines are injected into social media, it not only magnifies the ambiguity of the facts, it allows people to morph those facts into things that that don't even come close to being the truth. It is akin to the old telephone game that you played in third grade where the teacher says one line to somebody at the beginning and everybody whispers it all the way back and it doesn't even resemble what was originally said. Now, I also want to get into Mr. Goldberg's bias, and it's very subtle in the same MSNBC episode, it was or segment. It was very subtle, but it was there. Listen to this. I think there's also fear. Uh, I think, and, and we see this across the board in, in Donald Trump's Washington. There's a fear on a kind of a superficial level of, of a Twitter mob. Um, there's also real fear of personal safety, fear for your family, a fear for what you'd put everybody around you through if you started talking about this sort of thing. And um, these are people just like other people, and, and they have this anxiety. Donald Trump's Washington. He's trying to paint a picture here that this fear, this especially on social media, but this fear of retribution from, from an administration has only come about in Washington, D.C. under Donald Trump. 
That is a bald-face lie. It is so far from the truth, I don't know where to begin. And this, in my book at least, completely destroys the Atlantic's credibility 100% bar none. They cannot be taken at face value, and they must always be suspect where truth is involved. If you want to talk about fear of retribution, let's look at the Clintons, especially Hillary Clinton. This woman was vindictive. You can see it on, on all of the conspiracy sites, but you can't argue death certificates. How many people do you know have the number of people dead around them that the Clintons do? Close friends and associates. I think there's a list of 72 or something like that. 48 or 72, I can't remember the number. But all of these people that they considered their close friends in their inner circle, suicides, missing, plane crashes, deaths, you know, coincidence? You be the judge, but I find it suspect. And then you have to take into consideration Hillary Clinton's famous temper and intolerance. There's all kinds of video and audio out there about her dressing people down. And if you don't think that the Clintons ruled with an iron fist and that people from John Podesta on down if you don't think that retribution was something that happened in Washington during his eight years and that there were people who feared for their positions and their jobs, then you're smoking dope. Let's talk about the vindictiveness of the Obama administration. Payback was a bitch in the Obama administration if you crossed him, and the media did a real good job of smearing anybody who wanted to talk against him. Do you remember those videos of the military-clad black youth pledging allegiance to Obama? You don't think people feared that? What about the clips of the new Black Panthers standing in front of polling places calling white people crackers and wielding batons that the federal government under Obama did nothing about? You don't think people feared that? But we're supposed to believe Mr. Goldberg's contention that high-ranking people, these high-ranking anonymous sources who probably have secret clearances, top-secret clearances, who've navigated the halls of, of Washington for years and years and years to the point of being at that elitist echelon in Washington, you're telling me they're scared of a Twitter mob? That they're scared of the words that would come out on Twitter about them if, in fact, they came out and said, Donald Trump said this? That doesn't fly. That doesn't fly at all, especially with the mainstream media running interference for those people. They would have become cause celeb on the left and, and the East Coasts. People who came out to say, Donald Trump smeared these soldiers. I heard him say this. The only reason they're not coming out and saying it is because it's not true, and they could be sued if they did. So the fear that Donald Trump has brought to Washington? Not so much. If anything, he's been fighting for our freedom of speech in Washington. Take a look at what he does when he talks about censorship on social media and talking about the ingrained and uniform narratives of the media on the left. As far as I'm concerned, I don't see fear because of Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. I see fear because of the, the institutionalized elite there, the swamp, going after and making sure that they can protect their elitism and their entitlement. So where political smear and attack, any of these political pieces in the Washington Post, in the Atlantic, you know, any place... As soon as you hear them say anonymous source in this day and age, I'm sorry. It has to be suspect. I can't take it as truth. Just like in the old days when the Washington Post told Woodward and Bernstein, when the editor there, Ben Bradley, said, you better, you better have three sources on this or I can't run with it. Well, 
we need to get those three sources every time there's there's somebody booked as an anonymous source from a usual suspect left-leaning publication. Anonymous source means it's BS. And moral ambiguity? Well, it's defined as this, a lack of certainty about whether something is right or wrong. There can't be any moral ambiguity in journalism. If your trade is who, what, when, where, why, and how, and truth and the facts, there is no moral ambiguity. Moral ambiguity breeds moral relativism. And for those of you who don't understand what moral relativism is, it's people disagreeing fundamentally about what is moral. So the left has instilled that because no one can agree on it, there is no right and wrong and all viewpoints must be tolerated. That's where they have delivered us today. And that moral relativism breeds that moral ambiguity that Mr. Goldberg was talking about. And that's why there is no credibility in the mainstream media anymore. For the Underground USA, I'm Frank Salvato. Thank you for listening to Underground USA. Be sure to check us out online at www.undergroundusa.com and on social media. Please subscribe to our podcast at iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on podcast platforms like CastBox, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and anywhere podcasts are heard. Underground USA is produced and syndicated by Compass Point Productions. All content is used with permission and pursuant to the dictates of the fair use copyright law. Any and all guests have appeared at their own risk. Rendezvous with destiny.